0: together. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come to you now, for we need your help indeed. O Lord, I am but a man, but we need to hear from you, your holy word. So we pray, O God, would you send your Holy Spirit afresh? Would you open our eyes and unstop our ears and help us to see and hear the Lord Jesus Christ again, that we might come to better understand who you are. Who you are calling us to be in Jesus. We pray all of this for your glory and for the good of your church. We pray it in Christ's strong name. Amen. As we continue in our sermon series this Lenten season, it's good for us to remember what Lent is all about. The 40 days separating Ash Wednesday and Easter are meant, if nothing else, to take our attention from ourselves and to place it squarely on Jesus. More than simply giving something up in an attempt to feel a little bit more sacrificial or possibly sometimes feeling a little bit more guilty this part of the year than others. More than any of this, Lent is really supposed to make us think less of ourselves and to think more about the Lord Jesus. You see, it's not about us or what we do or don't do. It's all about Christ and what He has done for us is maybe nowhere else as striking as the passage before us this morning, despite what we might claim about Lent and our observance of it, none of us, I dare say, would claim that we are going into heaven in order to save people and to bring heaven down to earth. That's Jesus' business. That's his job. So let us turn our attention then to see what Hebrews chapter 9 has to say about this Jesus' Lord of glory. I'll read our passage for us. You can find it in your ESV Bible or it's printed in your bulletin. I'll read beginning at verse 23 of Hebrews chapter 9. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered Not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting. little boy. I loved trains. I'm sure plenty of you uh, might relate to that, or at least you may know of a young child that loves Thomas the Train. I was never able to have a Thomas the Train set, and in hindsight, I'm thankful for that now. I don't think you could have pried me away from that little wooden table in wooden train cars. I did, however, happen to get a few train sets along the way in my childhood, and they were fascinating to me. Miniature trains and tracks all lined out. The tiny little trees and little people and little buildings. The smell of that fake smoke that some trains make. They're really incredible models. Models are. And they can actually be quite the feat of engineering. For instance, the the Guinness World Record right now for the largest model train set is held by a company in Germany. Miniature Wonderland spent over 21 million euros to build this model. They have nine miles of track laid out, over 1,000 engines, 10,000 cars and carriages. But you know, as as impressive as that sounds, it's really nothing compared to a feat of engineering at full scale. Did you know that the longest recorded train real size train, now we're thinking. Left for Western Australia, heading across the country, carrying nearly 100,000 tons of iron ore. Not 100,000 pounds, 100,000 tons. There were 264 cars on this train, and it was longer than four and a half miles, one single train. What's even more fascinating is that it was moved by six GE diesel-electric engines, and was conducted by one train operator. It's amazing what we can do. And I say all of that to say that models are fun, be very enjoyable, but they're not the real thing. They're just a miniature example. That's exactly what our writer of Hebrews is getting us to see this morning in our text. We'll see two things. First, Jesus does away with the model. And secondly, Jesus will then bring the reality of heaven to bear on earth. So in the first part, verses 23 through 26, we see already Jesus bypassing the copy of the heavenly realities and going straight for the real thing. The earthly temple and sacrificial system, if you'll remember, back in the Old Testament time with me, had everything purified with blood. That's what the verses right before our passage are alluding to. Very messy business if we really stop and think about it. Sacrifices being offered every single day in the temple. The blood signified the payment for wrong, wrongdoing. It, it gained access, as it were, to God for His people problem, of course, as you well know, as we all intuitively know, the problem with that Old Testament system, with the copies, as it were, is it didn't actually accomplish change at the heart level. All throughout Scripture we see in the prophets and the New Testament writings, the blood of bulls and goats are not able to change the heart of man. the writer of Hebrews says earlier in this letter, it's not able to purify our conscience, to actually make us new people. It's what Mary has been preaching on. The law was given not to bring life, but to show us our death, to show us how far short we fall of the glory of holiness. People are still sinners. We are still sinners, despite how many animals died under the old system. So the first thing we see in these verses then is that the writer's making a contrast. Jesus doesn't go into the Old Testament temple. Jesus goes into the heart of heaven itself. He goes into God's presence on our behalf. That's what it says in verse 24. He can then actually deal with the problem of our sin. He can affect change at the heart level. I want us to stop and think about that for a moment. Really meditate on what this text is saying. Jesus has gone back into heaven. If you'll remember with me, the only people in heaven, in the flesh, that have ever been in God's presence, as it were, were Adam and Eve. After that, the door was closed. The Lord kicked man out of the Garden of Eden out from his presence and put those angels up at the gate to guard in every direction from the way to the Tree of Life. The door has been sealed from the beginning of time itself. And now we see Jesus the God-Man, the first human being and let us not mistake this Jesus in the flesh standing before God fully God but fully man for us. Christ the righteous, our advocate, standing before God. It's an amazing reality. He's in heaven itself. Jesus went not into a temple to offer sacrifice on our behalf. Jesus himself was the sacrifice. And it's in the true temple, the very place where God dwells, to worry as a young man if that would be enough. If I'm honest with you, I'm really a pretty rotten person at the core. If you knew the thoughts and feelings of my heart and mind, you'd probably be scared to call me a pastor. I wondered, what if I have some sin in the future? Will God's past action be enough? You see, this is exactly next. It comes to the rescue of our heart. Jesus has appeared once for all, the writer says, at the end of the ages to put away sin. He doesn't have to suffer repeatedly. That's what it says in verses 25 and 26. He's not like the Old Testament high priest. He doesn't go in every single year. Jesus is really in the presence of God. Not like Moses beholding the back half of the the parting presence of God's glory. Jesus is staring the Lord of heaven face to face. He's doing it for you and for me. In other words, he's he's appeared apart from time and space itself. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around the fact that Jesus is in heaven. Not a copy of that reality making our case at the end of the ages and what he's accomplishing then what he accomplished at the cross is irrevocable it doesn't change it it cannot change he's perfectly secure and notice that that sacrifice is once for all meaning once for all of time nothing you or i can do will ever overturn that verdict there will be no new revelation out of heaven from God. He has spoken with finality in the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't get more definitive than once for all at the end of the ages. So my brothers and sisters, take heart. Where we stand now can not change where Jesus is and what He's done. Nor can any point from this point to the end of our lives. He's accomplished it. It is yes and amen in Christ. We see that Jesus first has gone around the Old Testament temple system, the copies. He's gone into heaven itself, the reality. But as we will see in the second part of our passage, Jesus then is going to bring heaven down to earth the image of Christ coming again to save His people. Look with me at verses 27 and 28. We see here in verse 27 that it's appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Jesus, as a man then, had to die. But we know that as He lived perfectly obedient under the law, He yielded His life up of His own accord. He obeyed everything that we could not to do that, which we simply cannot do. He was perfect. And he gave his life up for the ransom of many. But then he was judged. And the good news of the gospel is that he was found righteous. We know this because God vindicated him in the resurrection. Death could not hold him. The Holy One could not see corruption, as we will sing in a moment from Psalm 16. Jesus has life in and of Himself. And so He gave death its own death as He rose from the grave. You know, this also teaches us something else to encourage our hearts. Verse 27 puts away silly myths like reincarnation, like purgatory. We live in this life, and then we die, and we are judged. We are judged in Christ or we are judged apart from Christ. But that's the end of the matter. And Jesus shows us that example. He Himself lived and He died and He was judged. We need to see if we are found in Christ, if we believe upon Him, if we trust and rest in Him as the true Lord of glory. And understand how heaven meets the earth. We really need to pause for a moment and see what Scripture is doing. That's why we read from Revelation chapter 21 earlier. See, God's presence was always meant to be in the creation. His glory, as the, the writer Isaiah says, is meant to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's not figurative language. God is meant to be here, dwelling in our midst as He did with Adam walking and talking in the cool of the day. But obviously that hasn't happened since the garden, since the fall. But you see, all of our hearts long for that. We're all hardwired with the image of God pressed upon us. And if I think we were to be honest with ourselves, we would understand that, wouldn't we? After all, what does our world chase after? Bottom, it chases after life. Whether we think of it as more stuff, more fun times, we try to maximize the few short years we have, or if we think about it in terms of the chase for immortality. Oh, but if we could live a few more years, if we could cure all these diseases, if we could live forever. We're all longing and craving that existence that continues. And more specifically, we're longing and craving a new creation, a new world where we don't have these diseases, where we don't have the pain and the sting of death, the sorrow of broken relationships. We're all longing for that. And that's where our text comes in with the good news. So Christ, having put away sin and having dealt with the problem, will come again, and He will come to save His people. And this is the picture of it. That's why Scott read from Revelation 21. John writes in the beginning of that chapter, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and first earth had passed away. The sea was no more. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. We see in that passage later in the chapter, the part we read earlier, the writer of Revelation is describing the new city. You know what's marvelous about that? That it's a picture of the Holy of Holies. See, we've gone from the Garden of Eden, that early temple that God dwelled in with his people. And then we see in the Old Testament the tabernacle and the temple created with human hands, copies of the original thing. And the Holy of Holies sitting as a perfect cube, overladen with gold and beautiful ornamentation of so many kinds. And then we see in the the new creation, the new Jerusalem coming down. It's a perfect cube. It's overladen with gold, clear as glass, the most beautiful stones and, and gem work that you could ever see. And what's amazing is that that Holy of Holies, that place in which God dwells, the true temple, heaven itself, fills the entire creation. You see, what's gone from a tiny little spot in the Middle East is now in heaven and on earth, full in the creation. God's glory breaking out into all the world. Jesus coming again and bringing God's presence on a new earth, in a new, wonderfully recreated universe. That's the truth of the gospel, the truth of the scriptures. See, we often make the mistake thinking heaven is the place that we go to and God takes us there and we have this weird existence out of body forever. That's a heresy of the early church. We're always meant for this creation. That's why we long to live forever. That's why we can't get enough of life. Such wonderfully rich food, great music, all of these things that we long to enjoy those are the pleasures forevermore at God's right hand, and He intends us to enjoy them in His presence on this earth when Jesus returns. You see, that sounds like good news to me. Not, well, good luck with 80 years. Hope you can get enough out of it. See, that's such a, a, a lie and a sham from our culture. That's a model. It's not the reality. You see, I bet if I were to offer you a trip, maybe you wanted to, you may not like trains, but bear with me for the the point of illustration. If I were to offer you a trip, a great train ride across the Alps, all expenses paid, if you liked that kind of thing, would you rather have that or would you like to go down the street and see a model of the Alps that I built and a little train running through it? know what you would choose. You want the real thing, not the model, not the copy of the reality. Brothers and sisters, that's what life is. God has trained our hearts such that we long for eternity with him. Whether or not we put it in those words is irrelevant. We've only begun to understand the possibility of life on this earth when Jesus returns and reveals God's glory into every square inch of the universe, then you will know what it means to live. But you see, that's the catch. We only have this life to decide. For after death comes judgment. And the question before us this morning is, are we in Christ or are we not? Because Christ will come again to save those who are eagerly waiting upon Him. But hear those closing words from Revelation 21. It says, They will bring their glory into it. And the gates will never be shut by day. Glory rewards faith. The doors will never be closed in heaven. But, but, Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. See, we are all longing for eternity. We are all desiring to be in Christ, in God's presence forever. And he's promised to do that if we would but believe. I'll close with these words from C.S. Lewis. He says, most of us find it very difficult to want heaven at all. One reason for this difficulty is that we have not been trained. Our whole education tends to fix our minds on this world. And there have been times when I think we do not desire heaven. But more often I find myself wondering whether in our heart of hearts we've ever desired anything else. We all desire. All out to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is yours. And there's nothing in all the world that can change that.